Father George, it's great to have you here at um, EWTN just to talk about your book, uh, Discernment, Do's and Don'ts. I think, first of all, yeah, just talk about your vocation in general, um, you know, yourself and and how you discerned and, you know, as a young man and, and going from the, uh, the, the academy. And yeah, I think sure. it'd be awesome just for listeners to hear that. Sounds good. Yeah. So I was born into a Catholic family and we would always go to Mass on Sundays. I went to CCD and did all of that. However, there, there kind of came a point in my life when I thought to myself, you know, maybe all of this is true. Maybe it is real. However, right now I'm, I'm not that concerned about religion. I'll, I'll deal with all of this when I'm 80 years old and kind of the door is closing and I'll go to confession, go to Mass a whole bunch. And, you know, if it's, if it's all real, then I'll end up in heaven. If not, well, then I didn't lose anything. Um, but what uh, happened was when I was 15 years old, my cousin who was 16, uh, and we were really quite close, uh, died in a car wreck. Mm. And that forced me to look at life in a very different way. I didn't know if I was going to be able to, to, to make it until I was 80. Um, and really growing up, I'd always been one of those kids that, that planned ahead. It was always, well, I have to do well in middle school so that I can get into the advanced classes in high school. And I have to do well in high school so I can get into a good college so that I can get a good job so that I can make lots of money and you know, buy a big house and have a beautiful wife and my little family and all of that. Um, but with my cousin dying, it, it, I just realized I might not be alive tomorrow. Every time I get into a car, I might not step out of it. And that really revolutionized my whole life. And it didn't impact my faith at first. It impacted all of the other parts of my life. But it wasn't until I had two men move into my hometown. One was just a really great priest. And another one was a great married man. And, uh, you know, as I, as I kind of began to apply this idea of I might not live tomorrow to different parts of my life, it eventually hit my faith as well. And the two of them were incredibly patient with me, asking all of my, you know, at the time, punk teenager questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I thought I was, I was pretty smart. And, um, but did, they, you, did you see yeah. something in them that you wanted? Yeah. Like, did you see, like, 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 like a confidence in them? Like, I think as, as, as teenagers, we think we are confident. We want to pretend. <laughs> I know I did. It's yeah. Like, but, but. I know that the Lord put people in my life that I saw something in them. It's like, wow, I, like, that's what I want to be, but I'm kind of pretending. We're in this, like, we're pretending that we are. We're, mo- we're, exactly, we're, yeah. But maybe that's what happened. Yeah, what really struck me was that both of these men were, first off, extremely joyful. Hmm. They loved life, and I loved to be around them because they were just such fun people to be around. And then they also loved the faith with all their heart. And they knew the faith extremely well. Uh, and they loved Jesus Christ. And then also they were very capable mm. people. Uh, the, the priest was one of the best preachers I've ever met in my life. The, the layman was, um, he was a director of um, IT. He, he handled all of the IT for a, a regional radiology network. Um, and I was interested in um, programming computers, things of that sort at that time. And so uh, I was able to work with him and just see his genius. And so it was him really excelling in the world and still being a happy person and a, a true Catholic that just kind of it, it opened up my eyes to, 
to the faith. Um, and then um, my parish at the same time had started a, a chapel with perpetual adoration. And my mom got uh, Catholic guilt guilted into being one of the kind of quarter day chap, or, uh, yeah, what's the right word? Captains. Yeah. Um, so every day she was in charge of making sure that six hours were sure. filled. Um, sure. And at the time, my dad was working in Wisconsin. He, he was traveling back and forth. My sister had gone off to college, and my mom didn't really want to go to adoration. And so she just sent me. She said, you know, <laughs> you have your license. You go to adoration. And so I, you know, I, I spent, I have to confess, I spent a lot of time just sitting in that chapel daydreaming. Um, but as I became more and more convinced of the faith, what happened was I realized, oh, my goodness, that's really Jesus Christ. And a real prayer life began to develop. Also, that that same priest would preach all the time about confession. He would rail on confession. And I got to the point where I thought, you know, (laughs) Father just seems a little bit lonely there in the confessional. I guess I'll start going by and started to confess more regularly. And a lot of those sins that had been a part of my life that I didn't want to be part of my life uh, were just, I mean, by, by the power of God, just wiped away by that that frequent regular use of the sacrament of confession and so um, by the time I graduated from high school I was really convinced of, of the, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and the power of confession and so I went to the Air Force Academy from there and um, you know at that time I really knew I was called to the priesthood but I didn't want to do celibacy that was something mm-hmm. that I just was not willing to sacrifice um, and so I went to the Air Force Academy and on the way there I sat and I listened to a 10-CD set on theology of the body, and it was understanding the beauty of marriage and how good and holy sexuality was. Um, And then there was just one line that really struck me, and that was that we never sacrifice something bad. We sacrifice something good for something even better. That, and that, that phrase just opened my eyes to, oh my goodness, and it, it just all clicked. And I saw the beauty of, of celibacy, of completely giving of myself um, in you know, every part of who I am to God and out of love for other people. Um, and that opened up my heart to it. And then I, while I was at the Air Force Academy, um, I discerned to enter the seminary. Would you say that in the beginning of discernment, in your own discernment, and I can certainly say this about my own discernment, like the first couple of years in seminary, I think I, it was more of the negatives. It was everything. This is what I'm giving up. You kind of have this list of everything you're giving up, Lord, and you're handing it to him. It's like, ah, uh, I don't know if I can do this. But, but when you were saying that, what really hit you hit me too. When I was in a college seminary, when I was reading a book on um, celibacy, it was called... Um, it's called uh, When God Asks for an Undivided Heart, Choosing Celibacy yeah, and Love and Freedom. It's a great one, yeah. It changed my whole life. I've read that book four times. And when I, when I read that book, it was like this epiphany, this light bulb went off. I was in a chapel one day at seminary. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, Lord. You're, you mean you're inviting me to do this. You're not forcing me. You you want me to choose basically. You're 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 presenting you're presenting this to me as an invitation, and you're saying to me that you can choose it or you cannot choose it, but that you want me to choose it. 
And that, that kind of was the turning point for me was like, I do choose it because I want to be, ha- I want to be happy. And I, and it, it was really, um, it was that moment in my own discernment where I went from kind of, I probably, um, second gear to third gear, right. <laughs> you know, in, in shifting. Now it's like, really driving, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta move from, you know, not just looking at, because there are aspects of, of self-denial and of the negative aspects, but, but more so we, we can't, we, you can't live really happily in any vocation, whether that be marriage or celibacy, just looking at this list of, of, I can't do this, like this command, like, like, like even in marriage, um, a man chooses one woman to marry. And every other woman that's on a possibility, he cannot marry. He cannot yeah. be with. He chooses one. But, you know, we, we choose exclusively, you know, the Lord in celibacy to live in undivided heart. I think, you know, when I reached that in my own discernment, it was kind of revolutionary. It was yeah. life-changing for me. Absolutely. Um yeah, I love that that saying. Uh, that's another thing that really struck me was um, just the idea that uh, the married man has to relate with every woman in the world just like a priest would, yeah, except for one. And that really, to live any vocation well, it requires great, uh, great chastity, great self control, and that healthy uh, love that. Of fraternal, brotherly, sisterly love between a man and a woman, and that has to be developed, and that's a great uh, richness to you know, the human family. When you uh, speak with college students about the sermon, I think that's you know you're a pastor, and you're also uh, a pastor of mission parishes too, and you mm-hmm. also are at a college, so you're a busy priest. You know, a busy priest is a happy priest, exactly, <laughs> and uh, it's great just to see a happy priest. Um, in your in your dealing with um, college students, you know how do you initially um, kind of walk them through some steps about discernment? Um, I think first of all, let's just talk about holiness in general. How do you present to them? I think the kerygma, you know, the the gospel itself, the holiness itself. Yeah. <clears throat> so, like you mentioned, I mean, uh, when a when a young person comes up to me and starts asking about vocation. I really try and focus them on holiness first and making sure that they're really pursuing uh, that universal vocation that we're all called to because essentially the, the, the big V vocations that we think about, you know, marriage, priesthood, religious life, um, consecrated single life, uh, those are the individual paths that God has created for us to take to get to that universal call to holiness, to be saints. Um, and so really getting them to focus on those aspects, you know, all right, what are the virtues that you need to grow in? All right, let's make sure that you're getting to confession regularly to, to receive God's grace and forgiveness and to really continue to grow in those virtues that you do need to grow in. Let's get you to mass regularly. Let's get you in front of the Blessed Sacrament praying um, in adoration. Let's really develop that relationship with our Lord that's going to be fruitful in no matter what vocation you're called to. 
What was that question we talked about in the show? If you didn't have to tell anybody. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's often, great. I love that. So often uh, young people feel these pressures from their, their parents, from their friends, from society, from uh, whoever it may be uh, to go down or not go down a particular vocational path. Hmm. Uh, and so something that I find really helps a lot of young people is just to ask them the question, if you didn't have to tell anybody, if nobody would know what decision you're making, which one would you make? Because that really frees them. It, it allows them to be released from all these pressures. And it's just then it's it's them and God, uh, which is really how we should live our entire life, right? Hmm. Um, live according to to God's will, not ours or anybody else's. And that does free them up because sometimes we can have, a young person can have um, fears coming from all different sides, pressures. Um, maybe um, a young person can be pressured into um, priesthood or marriage or to marry this particular person or that particular person, or even not to be a priest. You know, we yeah. hear that nowadays so much. I think you and I probably hear that more is parents do not want their children to be open to this, um, you know, yeah, idea really of priest. Sad. Yeah. You know, um, especially in the, in the current, you know, crisis and culture that we find ourselves in, in the church. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's devastating. And, and people, people do have a right to be angry. You know, to be justly, yeah. you know, angry with, um, you know, j just uh, the amount of abuse and the amount of scandal, you know, that that so many, you know, priests have have caused. But I think you could probably say the same thing. I know in my own life, you know, the majority of priests that I know are just on fire for Christ, and they want nothing but, you know, to to bring people to to the Lord. And it's like it's even hard to imagine somebody, a priest or a bishop, you know taking advantage of of somebody like that in that way but it, it's happened and 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 we acknowledge that and you know i i often i often tell people you know sometimes that are scandalized i'm sorry you know in the name of you know i'm a priest and i know you're scandalized and you know by this all but you know i want to tell you that you know god loves you and that you know and because i'm a priest you know, I feel like I have to say, uh, I'm sorry, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's been sin and the right response in the face of sin is repentance, you know. Yeah. You gotta, gotta own up to it. And I think that, I think the church is in many ways reforming, um, in many ways. Uh, the seminaries, I know we had good formation Absolutely. in seminary. Yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks be to God to, to teach us um, to pass on the faith, to teach other people how to um, discern you know, yeah. properly. Um, to to go, go back go a ahead. little bit to something that you were talking about. Um, you know, I have great respect for the men who enter the seminary today. Hmm. Uh, you know, we can almost think of um, during World War II, how it was, it was an honor to have a son who would enlist to go and fight, lay down his life against the forces of evil that were destroying humanity. I mean, what the Nazis did in the death camps was abhorrent. Yeah. And, you know, we're fighting against an enemy that's far worse today 
that's not just trying to destroy humanity on earth, not just trying to end our earthly lives, but who is trying to destroy our lives and for all eternity. You know, the, the torments of Auschwitz don't even almost stand up to what the devil has planned for mm. us. And so when a young man and a young woman stands up, especially at this time, when, when the casualty count has come home and is still willing to say, I will lay down my life to save those who stay behind. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of young men and women that we need in this world, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely in the priesthood and the religious life and any, I mean, in married life too. Absolutely. Um, I have many married friends. Majority of my friends, you know, down here are married and, and the way that they live their vocation to marriage is heroic. I mean, when I go over to their house and, and, uh, and we, we talk Turkey. I mean, mm-hmm. like we, it's almost like no filters, all filters are off and we just, right. we, and, and yeah, I'm so happy that they, they feel free to talk that way with me. Yeah. It's and, so refreshing, and, isn't it? And, yeah. and we talk, we talk about, okay, this is reality. And, and, um, I, I have in my own priesthood been strengthened so much by the vocations of married couples and and come away with gosh you know, lord lord you know i love you more just being around them i love you more mm-hmm. you know it makes me want to it makes me want to you know, die to myself more yeah you know and not be so not not complain right you know, yeah, not I, be bitter i thought <laughs> i was holier than my sister because <laughs> yeah. i was the seminarian and all of that and then i think when she had her third kid it was game over I mean, she's without <laughs> a doubt holier than i am <laughs> I have five parishes, but she's got five kids now, and they're <laughs> yeah. they're definitely more sanctifying. <laughs> That's awesome. It's also a lot more messes to clean up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's a heroic life right there. I think let's let's just go through your book a little bit, and I want to encourage people to buy this uh, this book, "Discernment: Do's and Don'ts: A Practical Guide to Vocational Discernment um, for uh, Their Children, uh, whether that be they're in high school or uh, college or, um, you know, j- just whether they're discerning religious life or priesthood, um, I think this is good in general um, because because you're not aimed at that specifically. Um, right. Yeah. The it was it was a book I wrote because I had so many people coming to me and saying, "Father, I want to discern my vocation. Where do I start?" Hmm. And I couldn't find a resource that was essentially, here's step one. Here's a book. So I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now you just hand them the book. Exactly. Read it and get back to me. <laughs> and choose God first. Exactly. I think that's, that's your, your, your main message is holiness first. You know? and, um, and let's talk about prayer a little bit. Um, when you're getting someone on the, on the tracks again, so to speak, they're off the tracks. <laughs> We've all been off the train tracks. We all know what it's like to be, you know, you know, living in, you know, in darkness. But, you know, when when we get someone back on the tracks, they're living a sacramental life. Um, they're going to mass. They're even going to mass during the week. They're going to confession. They're praying the rosary. You know, what what do you see happens when you start to get young people on the tracks? Yeah. First, I mean those sins that they have been struggling with mm. really begin to just melt away mm. 
before the fire of God's love. You know, if they're constantly coming to the Blessed Sacrament, they're constantly encountering Jesus Christ in confession, then, you know, they've, they can really see that transformation happening in their lives. And then, interestingly, when I, when I get people to stop worrying so much about what God is calling them to do five years from now and focus on what is God calling me to do today? Okay, we made it to the end of the day. How did I do? How can I improve? All right, let's restart tomorrow. Uh, what happens is basically their, their vocation kind of drops into their lap. It just becomes exceedingly clear to them. Oh, this is what God wants me to do because they've been discerning God's will for them throughout the entire day and every single little detail. And so then, you know, because they've been faithful in the small things, then when it comes time to these larger things, it's, it's almost second nature to them. In terms of prayer, so many people ask, what do I do? What do I do when I go to adoration? Um, what would you suggest somebody that's just beginning the discernment process, not you know, discernment in general, just walking the Christian life in general, they're, they're striving after Christ. What do you tell young people? How, how much time would you recommend um, a young person, high school, college age, to pray every day? Yeah, so I, I like to really challenge mm-hmm. young people. Let's, let's set the bar. Good. You know? I love um, it. I, I tell my college students, there's, there's no reason for you to not make a holy hour every day. Uh, I mean, if you're... What do they say? They, they, just, they, they, they look at me. <laughs> but also, um, you know, I think the whole idea of accompaniment and wor- walking with someone and saying like, okay, you know what? You're nowhere near an hour. You, you, okay. you know, make the sign of the cross in the morning when you're a member and that's your prayer life right now. Great. Let's, let's step to five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it takes about five minutes to read prayerfully one chapter of the Gospels. So let's start really soaking ourselves in the lives of Christ, in the life of Christ. Uh, it takes about five minutes to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's let's do that five minutes in the morning of of just focusing ourselves and, and starting the day with God. And once they're comfortable with that, let's add five minutes in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do a, an examination of conscience at the end of the day and really look at how we are uh, fighting against sin in our lives, and then. Once that's stable, then, all right, let's get 15 minutes. One of those segments, let's make that a 15-minute segment. Mm. And, um, you know, you can really start praying with the Scriptures more. Or maybe now that you understand the life of Christ and you kind of know the Scriptures, uh, you know the Gospels, let's start really delving into the Rosary. You know, the Rosary takes about 15 minutes, depending on who's praying it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so let's start praying that every single day. Um, and then, you know, once somebody has that 15 minute block in their life, then usually they're ready to start doing some, some real, um, what the, the spiritual writers call, you know, um, discursive prayer or meditation yeah. or uh, Lexio Divina is really the most common thing that people are aware of where they are not just reading the scriptures, but really praying with the scriptures, entering into the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to really challenge them and speak directly to them. And just starting with a 10, 15 minute block where you get in front of the Blessed Sacrament and you, you do that and then maybe pray the rosary afterwards. Um, and that's already a you know, 30 minute block. And then once you're doing 30 minutes in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day, you know what, adding on another 30 minutes of 
spiritual reading and just time of silent that's and great prayer. It's great advice. What would you uh, tell somebody about Lexio Divina? Uh, do you have any any examples? I think from the Gospels that you often tell people, you know, to meditate upon. It could be you know just yeah. off the cuff. It could be. Yeah, I think. You know, how do you do it practically? Mm-hmm. I guess there's many ways. Yeah, but... there's so many different ways. Um, th- I think the the a good kind of entry point for Lexio Divina um, <clears throat> is. Uh, to follow the pattern of essentially you, you read the, the passage. So you choose a passage and it's best to use one where, um, you know, it's, it's not something difficult to understand or it's, that it's really difficult to draw out the meaning. So don't start with Matthew chapter one. That's a big genealogy, right? Oh. <laughs> you know, find, find something, a good, a good example. I think it's, I want to say it's John chapter eight where the woman caught in adultery. Yes. Um, and, you know, so choose something like that and read that passage through uh, two, three, four times. And as you read through it, read through it slowly and recognize what is it that's really sticking out to you. What, what um, kind of pierces the heart. And then once you've identified that and you have a familiarity with the passage, um, start speaking to our Lord about that. Why was it that that mm. pierced my heart? What stood out? to me about that. Lord, how are you speaking to me through this particular word or line or image? Um, and so, for example, uh, you know, with the, with the woman caught in adultery, it, it, it could be, um, you know, the, the fact that um, it was the, the woman who was in this kind of isolated state with all of the other people s- circling around her or um, even the, the kind of righteousness of those who were accusing her or, um, you know, Jesus Christ who says to her, um, does nobody here condemn you? N- neither do I. Mm. Go and sin no more. Perhaps that's it. Um, whatever it is um, that really stuck out, uh, speak with our Lord about that and allow that piece of scripture to really impact your life. And then from there, um, just allow some time of, of silent, um, silent prayer meditation. It's perfectly fine to just sit there and look at the Blessed Sacrament and love Jesus Christ and allow him to love you. In the book, I love that you use the same passage. And um, you said that, uh, you know, watch Jesus Christ uh, uh, draw in the, in the sand. And is he, is he drawing your sins? You know, uh, that's a possible uh, outcome of th- through prayer, through through discursive prayer, through meditation. You know, is Jesus drawing what you're struggling with? You know, because He's the Son of God, He knows you. Yeah, He knows you better than you know yourself. Um, so He could be, you know, pointing out in the sand. He could, He could have been drawing in the sand the sins of those people. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. the sins of, of me and you. you know? Powerful. Yeah. Um, one of the chapters is time. Is just spending time, in, and and we talked about that, um, spending time in prayer. Um, the ch- the chapter on no. Talk about that because we didn't get to that during the show. Yeah, this no, is actually to know, especially uh, when people are discerning religious life. I find mm-hmm. this happens um, quite often. Sadly, um, 
you know, there, there just aren't a lot of religious out there in the world. And most Catholic young people grow up without any real experience of a religious priest or sister or anything or brother or anything of the sort. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they, they pray the prayer, Lord, do you want me to become a religious? And they really have no idea what they're even asking God mm -hmm. because they've never seen a religious. And if they have, it was, you know, they saw him walking around somewhere and never really had real interaction with him or their experience of it is through, uh, you know, whatever they found on television. And so there wasn't a, um, there's not typically the, the best depiction uh, <laughs> exactly. on there. Uh, it might be comic relief or something. Exactly. Yeah, unfortunately. And so, yeah. um, you know, they don't, they don't know anything about religious life. So they, it's hard to discern if, yes, this is what God is calling me to um, when, when you have no idea what it is. Uh, you know, I, I kind of liken it to, um, in fact, I've, I've had this happen where you know, a girl is just really distraught that she's not being asked out on any dates. And, you know, I knew the girl quite well. And I just said, do you ever talk to guys? I've never seen you around a guy. She's like, well, no. Like, well, that's why nobody asks you on a date because you never talk to guys. <laughs> you don't know any guys. Of course you're not. <laughs> You're not moving along in your vocation, so get to know guys, because those are the ones that you're going to marry, right? Yeah. Um, and it's the same way with, with religious life. You know, well, if you have never encountered any religious, well, get out there and start encountering them. Um, know the vocation that you could be in. And then I even see on the opposite side, unfortunately, there are so many marriages that just are not healthy that sure. um, people will come to me and they say, Father, I think I'm called a religious life. Okay, well, well why? Because I don't want to be married. Well, first off, that's not that's not healthy, right? Nat marriage right. is the, the natural vocation. There should be a natural attraction that we all have yeah. to marriage. Um, and as I talked to them, I realized, well, you know, their parents didn't have hmm. a, a healthy marriage. None of their friends' parents had a healthy marriage. None of their grandparents, aunts, uncles had healthy marriages. And so they've never seen a joyful marriage. Mm -hmm. But we aren't discerning a disaster of a vocation we're discerning yes. living that vocation well because that's yes. what god's calling us to and so we need to make sure that we've seen good holy marriages good holy religious good holy priests good holy uh, sisters good holy consecrated lay people yeah we can't love something we don't know first exactly. of all we can't love the lord if we don't know him right <laughs> if we're not spending time with them i mean what a disaster it will be for a couple to marry someone that you don't know yeah um you need to fall in love with somebody you know and it's the same way in our in our relationship with the Lord, it's like we need to fall in love with God. You know, first of all, because why? Because God's loved us first. You know, we call that the, the divine initiative, that that God makes the first move. He's the first, he, he comes towards us, he, he comes out to us, and then we, re, we have to respond, we have to choose. You know, he lays that. You know, I, I often um, I remember one time in a wedding homily, um, I, I use the imagery of um, throughout salvation history of of God how He proposes to us. He never imposes. Exactly. Uh, and <clears throat> how I was looking over at the the um, the bridegroom uh, Dave and the the, the bride to be soon Alexandra, and I remember when they got engaged. I saw pictures of it. Dave got down on his left knee. Because the left knee is for man, uh -huh. you know, the right knee right. genuflect to God, mm -hmm. you know, to the tabernacle. So when 
the left knee was always to you know uh, engagement or to kings queens and so Dave, when he engaged in front of Alexandra at the cathedral, he got down on his left knee and you know, he asked Alexandra to, to marry him. And you know, I'm doing this in front of all his family and everything. And, I, and, and basically I, I say to them, I turned it around and say, first of all, he's imitating God. You know, God in the incarnation, in the word becoming flesh, God has proposed to us, you know, the word has become flesh and touched the earth. You know, justice has sprung up from the earth. Truth, you know, the, that beautiful psalm that we pray yeah. in the office that, that Jesus Christ, you know, has the bridegroom ultimately, you know, we're his mystical body, the church. So he proposes to each one of us. So that's the, that's the imagery that I, I gave them. Uh, in that, in the context of the sacrament of matrimony, but it's really that way with any vocation, I think. Absolutely. You know, to know the one who loves us, the one who died for us and laid down his life for us. Absolutely. Um, you know, the last chapter is act. Um, and just leading up to that, what, what would you say? Um, are the main points in this chapter to make it because this is where it's hard I think this is where and I don't know if you, you're seeing this it's so I don't know why this is um, maybe you can flesh it out but why is it hard for younger people today to make a commitment are there any obstacles in them making a, a commitment to act are they afraid yeah, without a doubt. You know, I actually, um, I heard a really interesting analysis of this that um, in our social media world, not only are there a million options mm. that we can make every single day, but we are told the lie that we can choose all of them and not have to give anything up. And so, I mean, we all, you know, buy into this hook, line, and sinker, and... Because we can like, 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 like... Exactly. There's no cost. There's no sacrifice. You can choose everything. And that's just not the case. Every positive choice means a rejection of something else. That's real life. Um, but because we're trained to think that we never have to sacrifice anything whenever we come to a choice that requires sacrifice, we freeze. And for a young person who especially has not had to make as many of these adult, these adult choices that require sacrifice, the first time they start making these choices, it's really hard for them. And not only is it it's too many options, but also they see there's a real cost. And it's it's uh, yeah. I mean it's understandably very very difficult for them. I think in the beginning, when they learn to do this, they learn to do it by living life of virtue, by exactly. choosing like by living faith, by living hope, by living charity, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, by cooperating with God. Um, 
you know, by by little acts of self denial, then like if we're really if we're really living that the life, the Christian life, then when the bigger the bigger questions come up, like with vocation, with choosing, they, they, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but that that's going to pave the road. You think that's going to pave the road toward if I'm if I am making sacrifices throughout my life. Um, my beginning in my life of holiness with God, then, then the particular vocation will kind of unfold within that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, to go a little bit uh, Thomistic, you know, the the truly virtuous person, um, if they have the, the intellectual virtues, then they grasp reality, and if they have the moral virtues, then they actually live in accord with what is, what is real, um, and so. Um, you know, whenever we really pursue the virtues, um, we begin to not only understand, but to live reality. And then as reality presents itself, it just becomes easier and easier. That's why, you know, you can, you can really run. So we can, we can see reality and perceive it, but, but then living it is another thing. Like actually, you, we have to choose it or to want it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, then if we if we can teach our young people to live virtuously, um, kind of in that protected uh, situation of you know being in the house and all of that, um, then uh, they easily step out into the world because they already know how to deal with reality. I think just in, in tying this up, Father, um, if there are any young people, high school age. Uh, 20s, uh, even 30s, I'm thinking about, you know, what am I to do with my life? Um, maybe maybe somebody even in, in their 30s that thinks it's too late, um, that thinks that, that uh, you know, maybe they, they, uh, they think that they did have a vocation to the priesthood, but you know, they, they, they're out there in the, in the working world, they're making, you know, a good living, and, you know, what would you say to them even in their 30s? Yeah, I think John Paul II really nailed it for our generation. Just be not afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't live out of fear. God never calls us uh, to do something out of um, out of fear, but out of love. We don't yeah. run away from things. We run to things. And so um, if, you're, if you're afraid in any way, uh, cast that to the foot of the cross. Um, really pursue Jesus Christ and um, you can never be too old. My spiritual director uh, actually was a priest. Yeah. Uh, he was ordained when he was 60, I think. That's awesome. Um, and then I had another man. So many stories about that. Yeah. Uh, another man from my home parish who was ordained, I think when he was 65, he had a whole career as a, as a doctor and then uh, felt called to the priesthood and the bishop accepted him and so now he's a brother priest, yeah. <laughs> I think for the diocesan priesthood, um, you know, there's more of a, a possibility for that to, to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in in religious life, uh, we kind of we kind of cap it off mm-hmm. uh, at a certain age because we we've had um, you know some guys discern and and they're a little bit older, um, and it's harder for older men to to enter into. The, the consecrated life and living yeah. in community, mm-hmm. um, but 
it's not possible. It is possible for them to discern and diastasis there. Absolutely, yeah. So I wanted to hold that out there as a, as a possibility. Yeah. Um, Father, thank you so much again for for writing this book. I think it's gonna it's gonna bless a lot of people. I know I'm gonna. I deal so so much with people in in discernment, and you know I think I need to buy a stack of these. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, just to direct people to you know some of the, some of the, it's and and it's so great because it's it's based it's rooted in the scriptures, it's rooted in the church tradition and the lives of the saints, um, and uh, and that comes from your your studies background. You know, you studied the patristics. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's you know you have a lot of um, you know insights from early church fathers um, who really kind of guide us well. So thank you so much again for writing this book, for coming to, to join us here at WTN to do this show. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Right. God bless you, Father. You too.